very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, hundreds and hundreds of hours of great information, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com Subscribe and take Veritas with you. And if you want to get in touch with me, or you would like to be a guest on this radio program, go to the contact button of our website. In November 1988, Hugh John Simmons, Margaret Thatcher's favorite speechwriter and the author's best friend, boss, and political mentor, turned up dead in a woodland glade a few miles from the sleepy suburban hometown. 20 miles west of London to learn why his best friend was murdered. Tonight's special guest journeyed into the dangerous world of international arms deals, covert intelligence operations, and high-level political corruption, and discovered a secret that explains much of contemporary history, a quest for truth, which after 20 years of high-risk adventure, coupled with painstaking research and first-hand interviews, uncovered the ugly truth that for some 30 years, the various governments of Great Britain have loaned their country's military and intelligence services to the United States, allowing presidents from Reagan to Obama to pursue their covert foreign and military policies without the encumbrance of congressional oversight. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Jeffrey Gilson, a lawyer. He was active for 10 years in the British Conservative Party before pursuing a commercial career in public relations. His website is maggieshammer.com, which is also linked at ours. And he's also written a book with a very long title, Maggie's Hammer, How Investigating the Mysterious Death of My Friend Uncovered a Netherworld of Illegal Arms Deals, Political Slush Funds, High-Level Corruption, and Britain's 30-year secret rule as America's hired gun. And directly from Carborough, North Carolina, I'd like to welcome Jeffrey Gilson. Hello, Jeffrey, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Uh, Mel, thank you very much. I'm fine, and thank you for having me on Veritas to talk about my new book, Maggie's Hammer. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. And, of course, after reading the book, I was surprised to see that you are in North Carolina you know, that's a long way from England. What, what, what are you doing in the U.S. when your story started in the U.K.? Well, um, there are lots of different reasons, but the, but the, but the simplest reason is that um, I was told some years ago 
that uh, not only Great Britain, but Europe was probably not a very safe place for me to be. Um, apparently, the reach of some people doesn't get as far as Carborough, North Carolina. Um, but Europe is not a very safe place for me to be, uh, which is difficult because I spent 32 years in the same small town. Um, and that is the essence of the book. Um, I know you've read it. And, and you will know that um, the book goes some very interesting places um, that are touchstones for many of your listeners in terms of the last 30 years, um, from the Iran-Contra scandal in the 80s all the way up to what's happening with ISIS today, uh, primarily in the Middle East but all around the world. And it gives some insight into all of that. But beyond the insight, beyond the journey that I went through, the 20-year journey to get there, which included, as you said, some rather amazing adventures and a lot of research. My book is primarily a very personal story. Um, it isn't a formal expose. It isn't a formal reference work. It is my chronicle of my journey trying to discover what happened to my friend and the amazing discoveries that he was involved in things that we read about in the newspapers every day. Um, and that's an important point because you and I were just chatting before we came on air. People forget that when they read the headlines, that the, the, the headlines are made by pretty ordinary human beings. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Body of Lies, um, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. Have you seen that movie? No, I have not yet. Okay. Well, essentially, Leonardo DiCaprio is doing his dashing American spy thing all around um, the Middle East and killing people and whatever and all the rest, and winning the women and all the rest. But he is in constant communication by satellite because this is the 21st century with his controller, Russell Crowe, who is back in Virginia with a headphone on, like I'm wearing on your radio show right now. And it's, it's a much more fancy uh, radio phone. And throughout this movie, Russell Crowe is giving him instructions while he's taking the kids to school, while he's in the supermarket, while he's washing them in the bathtub. And it's very clever because it reminds people that these are ordinary human beings. They've got mortgages. They live in houses. They probably live down the street from you. So when we look at the headlines and we say to ourselves, what on earth can we do? The interesting thing is there's actually quite a lot we can do, but we've actually got to do it. And if there's one message from my book, aside from the things that were discovered, aside from the fast-paced read, the one message from my book is it is possible for ordinary people to do something to take back control of our lives. And that is keep, out, keep an eagle eye on what's going on around you. If there is someone living down the street uh, and engaged in something strange, it's probably something strange. If there's something happening locally that doesn't add up, it probably doesn't add up. And you can either shrug your shoulders and look the other way, or you get, to use an English expression, you get tucked in. That's how my adventure started. Something happened to my friend. It didn't make any sense, and I wouldn't accept the official version. Let's dissect it in chronological order because I, I, I like to go from A to Z in steps. Okay. But something interesting you said since you were you mentioned the word ISIS. As yes. I'm reading the book, 
And obviously, I think when you read the book, when you finished the book, I think ISIS was still a fragment of our imagination, if you will. Yes. But I can see how all the way back from the Mujahideen and even before, this has evolved into Al-Qaeda, into ISIS, into many, you know, branches of the new boogeyman that's created Mm -hmm. by all these parties. They're not mentioned in your book, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to have conversations about these during our exchange. Yes, I mean, I'll get to the chronological bit in a moment. Um, but since, you know, I mean, I mean, it's impossible for anyone not at the moment to be talking about ISIS, Syrian refugees, the Paris bombing, and of course, this coming Sunday, JFK's death. Right. And then and they are at the one and the same time all connected. And again, it's, it, ordinary people read the headlines and they're like, this is crazy. Okay, this is going on. I, I, I know I'm probably going to hear on this television program, oh, sorry, this radio program, how it is that this is all connected. But why is it connected? Who is letting this happen? Why is it happening? And the answer, for this, the answer to that is all of the um, events, most of the events around the world today, particularly in the Middle East, all link back to the 80s. They all link back through London, and they all have to do with money. Uh, and a lot, a lot of the reason that your listeners may not understand some of this is for those reasons. It links back to a time when they may not even have been around. Well, it links back through a city they think has nothing to do with this. It's Washington, yes. Damascus, yes. But why London? And money, eh, yeah, but how? So that's, yes, there are links. And um, so let's go back in history um, to 1988 uh, when my friend died. Uh, my friend is a guy called Hugh Simmons. Um, How did you meet? We lived in the same small town. Uh, Beaconsfield is the town that we lived in, which is a small town just 20 miles to the west of London. And when I say small, it's a a town of about 11,000 people. Uh, Think of any large city in America, a nice little sleepy suburb of 11,000 people. And we're we're pretty much like that. The only difference is that if you think of those wonderful uh, old uh, movies from the uh, about England and the Tudor cottages, that's Beaconsfield. We had the village green and we had the ducks and we had the Tudor houses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it, it, was, it was a picture postcard town of 11,000 people sleepy. Nothing very much happened. Hugh had been mayor of Beaconsfield at a very young age. He was a few years older than me. We were both interested in politics. And we met up through politics. At that time, my politics were I was a member of the British Conservative Party and I am much of a fan of Margaret Thatcher. My politics have kind of changed since then. But there we were, young conservative politicians in the 80s. Margaret Thatcher was in power. We were working our way, both of us, to becoming members of parliament. He was a little bit ahead of me. He was a member. As I said, he was the mayor of Beaconsfield. I served as a councillor on the town council. We met up. We you know, went on, went, you know, carried on doing what we were doing. He was a lawyer. As it became uh, more apparent that he was close to becoming a member of parliament, I joined his uh, law firm as his senior employee so that um, you know we'd be together in that way. And everything was fairly normal until November um, 15. Um, in fact, we just passed the anniversary a few days ago. November 15, 1988, crisp, clear, slightly cool November morning, he turned up dead in a woodland glade in his car about seven miles from our hometown, and nobody could work out why. Um, and it was ruled a suicide, right? It was ruled a suicide. I, there was nothing particularly um, unusual about that at the time. 
Uh, I've been asked, well, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you demand an autopsy? Well, there's always an autopsy when there's suicide. But understand, at the time, um, and, and, and it's very easy to look at things in the past two-dimensionally rather than three-dimensionally because it's very difficult to be there. And one of the things I try and do in my book is describe it in a personal way. So I hope that people can actually be there walking with me through this uh, adventure, through this journey. But at the time, we were struck dumb by the fact that he'd committed suicide, but there was no reason to suspect that it was other than suicide, and then he was cremated because that was his wish. So there's no way to go back and do anything now. But at the time, there was nothing suspicious about his death other than the fact that he was dead. Um, However, very quickly, it became apparent that there was some $7 million missing from the client's account of the law firm, to which he was the sole signatory. Um, And that's pretty much where everybody closed the book. There was some cursory investigation to see if they could find, track down the missing money. Uh, The missing money was never found. Um, They closed down the investigation after six months and then turned their attention to me uh, because, as it was pointed out to me by the police... To you as a suspect? I was a suspect. Uh, In fact, in a very... Um, pleasant way. I'm still a suspect. Um, I'm reminded of this from time to time when I contact them to see if they have any more news. And they're very nice about it. But since they couldn't find the money, they started looking for people, and I was the obvious person. So um, I, I, if, if I need to say it, please let me say this. I don't have the $7 million, because <laughs> with the greatest of respect to you, Mel, if I had the $7 million, I wouldn't be on your radio program. <laughs> uh, I'd be I'd be sunning myself on Copacabana Beach. Um but um, they, they, they didn't Why are you a suspect, first of all? Because I was a senior employee, um, and they, 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 they have to have something that allows them to shut the book. And I was the answer, but I was a convenient answer. Because when they said, I, when they said we can't find the money, I went through all sorts of questions. Um, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm very good. I may not be good at many things, but I'm very good at asking questions. And so I'd ask them all sorts of questions. Well, have you spoken to this person? Have you looked here? Well, we're we're not allowed to. Who says you're not allowed to? The Law Society. The police and the Law Society were looking into this. The Law Society is the equivalent of the National Bar Association. I think what I should probably do is point out that, uh, again, to try and get a sort of a personal handle on this, at the time, no, it's not at the time. Seven million dollars. It was a what's called a sole practitioner firm. He was the sole partner of the firm. I was his senior employee, but he was the sole partner. That seven million dollar theft from that small law firm remains to this day, thirty years later, the single largest theft by a solicitor of client funds. It was huge. It made it made national and international headlines, not just because. Uh, the fact that he was Margaret Thatcher's favorite speechwriter, but also because of the amount of money that was missing. And yet, they could not find a penny of it. By the way, that's about, that's about $14 million in today's money. Well, yes, it was a lot of money. Um, and they couldn't find any of it. And, and I gave them some clues as to where they might look, not because I knew, but I said, have you looked here, have you looked there? But then they said, no, 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 but we're, we're now going to turn your attention to me. And I said, okay, well, turn your attention to me. Bring me in. Beat me senseless, ask me questions, I'll give you answers, and I'll tell you where you should be looking. Um, And they said, well, no, we don't want to do that. We just want to keep you on file as a suspect. Well, but you don't actually want to do anything. No. So here we had this dichotomy, this huge amount of money missing, 
Um, they're holding me as a suspect. They're not holding me, but they're holding me in suspicion, but they're not prepared to do anything, and they close the books. Well, two things going on here. First of all, I can't exactly do nothing. I've lived in this small town, the one with the ducks and the duck pond and the, the village green where I know all the streets and I know everyone by my first, their first name. I've lived there for 32 years, Mel. Um, I've never wanted to live anywhere else. I wanted to go and be a member of parliament 20 miles down the road, live in Beaconsfield and live happily ever after, have a wife, have kids, good night, goodbye. And suddenly I am being told that I am the primary suspect in the largest theft by a solicitor in history. Well, you can probably imagine, I can't get a job. Um, in fact, we played a game. Uh, I, I currently, as I say, my politics have somewhat changed and... Um, I now work in a grocery co-op. It's the largest grocery co-op in the southeastern United States. But that's kind of where my politics is. And um, I've, I've been telling the story before I wrote the book. And my boss one day said, I, I, I just, you know, I'm not saying I disbelieve you, Jeff, but this is kind of, ooh, this is kind of difficult to, to understand. So you're saying that so you've been blacklisted. Yeah, I've been blacklisted. He said, I said, I'll tell you what, next time, an Eng next time an English person comes in, I'll talk to them. So this English person, literally, next time this English person came in, he's about 20 years old, a little bit too young to remember any of this. And it turns out he grew up in the town seven miles down the road. And I said, do you remember the name Hugh Simmons? He said, no. Mayor of Beaconsfield, guy who killed himself back in the 80s. Oh, wait a minute. My parents told me about this guy who um, – uh, stole a bunch of money. He was the mayor of Beaconsfield, all sorts of suspicious stuff. And I said, yes. Do you remember anything else? He said, yes. Yes, he had a partner who fled to America. I said, no, that's me. I didn't flee anywhere. And my boss is standing there with his mouth hanging open saying, so you're famous. I said, no, it's called notorious, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I couldn't get a job. So um, I... I had to do something, and to, I first of all came to America back in 1989 to scout it out, just to think about coming and living it. Because oh, um, I am a dual American citizen. But, I, but why couldn't uh, you get a job? Why, why couldn't you just clear ooh, your name? Well, mm, okay, that's part of the reason why I started my own investigation was to do precisely that. Um, I'm a dual British and American citizen, perfectly capable of starting a life in America. But I didn't want to start a life in America. I wanted to go on living in England. Sure. But I couldn't go on living in England until I cleared my name. Well, again, let, let, let's deal with anecdotes. Anecdotes are nice and easy for listeners to understand. Um, I went to various employment agencies in London um, specializing in law and gave them my resume and said, give me a job anywhere. And they, they, they couldn't get me a job. And um, I said, why? And they said, well, because you're Jeff Gilson. And I said, what's so what? And they said, you do realize everyone in the country and everyone in the legal profession knows who you are. I said, for, for real? They said, yes. There was this one employment agency where the owner had been living in Hong Kong and didn't know me. And he got me an interview with somebody. And I went to this, this interview and I was talking to the, 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 the senior partner of the law firm, loved me, loved what I could do, loved what I could do for him. And it starts looking and, and then this his partner comes in and looks at the resume and looks up at me and says, should I know you? And I said, oh, gee, oh. Uh, yes. And he said, Simmons and company. I said, yes. And he said, goodbye. So wow. that was that. Um, but, I mean, there, there's nothing unusual about that. I mean, I entirely understand it. But it left me, Mel, in a situation where I wanted to do something about clearing my name, naturally. At the same time, 
when Hugh died, he had three small children, uh, Juliet, who was 11, Tanya, who was eight, and Paul, who was three. And I, I will tell you this, Mel, you don't ever want to have to sit in someone's living room holding the hands of an 11-year-old girl yeah. who is looking at you with haunted eyes, expecting you, Uncle Jeff, to tell her why her father died and didn't explain why. Yeah. You don't ever want to be there. And people have said to me, it's very interesting because I've been doing radio interviews, it's made me address certain things I've never addressed in 30 years. I guess I just... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, Proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.